Today, this morning, we're in 2 Corinthians. I don't know if it's up there yet, but we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, last time that we were together talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's that portion of Corinthians that speaks on giving. And so if you're new here, we don't always talk about this. And I know the church has a stigma for always trying to get into people's pockets. That's not what this is. But as we come to things in the Word of God, we talk about them, right? And so uh, where we talked in chapter 8, Paul was speaking of, um, and I'll just kind of set the scene a little. He'll do that again in the first few verses. But that he was coming from the northern, we're thinking of the Greek peninsula when we think of these regions. The northern region is Macedonia. The lower region of that Greek peninsula is a place called Achaia. And that uh, lower portion of Achaia is where the church of Corinth is. In the northern regions, you have churches like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm going to be heading back to Jerusalem. And when I go back to Jerusalem, uh, we want to take a gift with us. The, the church at Jerusalem was in a bad place at this time financially. They were going through a lot of persecution. And so people were being able to be generous and send some gifts back that way. And so he's telling the Corinthians, kind of be ready when I come to pick up that gift. Now, he uses an example. And, and if you look, uh, there's a few, if you're a note taker, you could write down 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you read through 1 Corinthians 16, uh, you'll see some principles for giving. Uh, we see those also principles about this grace of giving in chapter 8, and then again, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But some of the things that we talked about the last time we were together uh, in relation to giving is that giving should be regular, it should be planned, it should be proportional, and it should be private. Uh, so regular, planned, proportional, and private, we talked about those things. We said towards the end of our study last time that it should be generous, it should be freely giving, and it ought to be cheerful. That's what we're going to look a lot at today. And so again, he's talking about that he's up in Macedonia, he's going to come down. Also in chapter 8, he used Jesus as an example for giving. That it said that he was rich, but for our sake he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. And we talked about how he left the riches of heaven. Uh, I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have done that. No, I can guarantee you I wouldn't have done that. That I wouldn't have left the glories of heaven to come down and spend time here, right? I mean, maybe there's certain places in the world that I would go. But chances are, I would have never made it to Phelan if I was Jesus coming down to save, right? You know what I mean? But Jesus, it says, and that's our example, though. What a giving God, right? What a wonderful giving God that he would leave the riches of heaven so that we might become rich. And so he says, uh, there's this reminder in verses 10 and 11 of last chapter that he said, look, there was a readiness to give. There was this excitement to give, but now there has to be the completion of it. And we talked about that Paul was not just trying to get money. If you remember when Paul later talks to the Philippians, uh, when he's writing from prison in chapter 4, he says, I, I don't seek the gift. I don't seek the gift. Because he, he talked about, remember, learning how to be content in any place. He says, I've learned to be abased. I've learned how to abound everywhere in all things. I could be full. I could be hungry. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Do you remember he says that? He says, I don't seek the gift. It's not the money I'm about. He says, I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That's what he says to the Philippians, the, the fruit that abounds to your account. And so we kept saying this phrase last time we were together, that it's not about the money, it's about the heart. 
right? It's not about the actual dollars or cents that go in to the offering. It's about the heart behind it. And again, we've seen examples all through the scriptures, the widow with her two mites, that, that just these two little pennies she gives, and, and I'm sure the church budget wasn't really moved by that necessarily. But the Lord knows how to make things abound. The Lord knows. And remember what Jesus said as they're watching people put money in the treasury, and I'm sure some very large gifts went in there. But he says she gave more than anybody because she gave all she had. And, it, and it's an attitude of giving. And so chapter 8 really talks about this persuasion almost. It's almost like a persuasion that Paul is telling these guys, guys, you ought to give. You ought to do this thing. Uh, and this was a special offering for the Jerusalem saints. But he says now in chapter 9, we're going to switch over and he's going to start talking about the manner in which they should give or the practical aspect of the giving. So let's read through the whole chapter, uh, 15 verses here, and then we will come back and talk about it. It says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, that, uh, excuse me, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and for all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God that is in you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so the first five verses kind of set the scene of what's about to happen here. He says, now concerning the ministering to the saints. So he's, again, talking about this gift that's going to be ministering to the Jerusalem believers. He says, now concerning this gift we've talked about, I like that he used this word. It's superfluous that I would write to you. What does that mean? 
I mean, it's unnecessary that I'd even say this. Now, some think Paul might be being a little sarcastic here, or he might just be a parent, right? That there's times when you tell your kid to do something, and you know they understood, and you know they've even said they understood. But there's like this thing in a parent that looks like a second, third, fourth, fifth time and goes, I know I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to say it, right? You ever had those moments with your kids, right? Yesterday, we were going to go see some family, and like we, we prepped the kids in the car, right? You guys have the, 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 pre, the briefing as in the car. You know, you turn on the block of where you're going, and then you just kind of like, you know, you, okay, you know, you, you get the mirror down, you're looking right eye level, and it's like, okay, so you guys know when you walk in there, like you say hello to everybody. You don't just oh, hey. And they're like, yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Not a passing hello. Like you look them in the eye. Grandma and grandpa are going to be there. You give them hugs. Like, and not just like weak hug. Like those arms should fit. And you're kind of giving. And it's like, I shouldn't need to tell you this because you know that I know that you've been told this and you have agreed to that. You know what I mean? And I really think this is what Paul is doing with them. He goes, look, I shouldn't even need to say this. I shouldn't even need to tell you, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to write to you, and I'm going to, and because, and <laughs> because there's this verse four, and we'll, we'll say it when we get there, but he's like, because we don't want to be embarrassed at one point. So he says this, he goes, I don't even need to be writing this, but it's about your willingness, verse two. He goes, and I boast to all in Macedonia. So he was in Achaia, right? He was down there in Corinth, but now he went up to the northern region and there in that northern region, he's saying, let me tell you, these guys in Corinth, they want to give. They want to really give. They're gonna really send this gift and the churches up north go, oh my gosh, yeah, we do too. If that's what they're doing, well, certainly we wanna be doing those things. And so they've gotten pumped up and all these people are happy. And he says, all this started happening about a year ago. The zeal has stirred up the majority. He goes, so I sent this letter and now I'm sending some friends down there. Verse three, he says, so I sent some brethren, lest our boasting would be in vain in this respect that as I said, you'd be ready. Again, think of, you know, the family in the car pulling up, right? It's this reminder so that we're all ready to walk in and be ready. Because and it's like he keeps saying, he goes, because I'm going to send them. And, I, and that's why this letter's coming first, because I don't want you to be surprised when they get there. And he's going to get into the reason why in verse 5. He says, lest some of the Macedonians come and, and they come with me and they find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed that we were boasting in the first place. And this is why I think he's saying that. Verse 5, he says, therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort, that's to encourage, the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not a grudging obligation. Here's the thing. He sends a letter first. He's going to send some friends to just say, hey, guys, don't forget, Paul's coming, and these are the things you said you wanted to do. 
So now would be the time to set aside, remember what we've talked about, the principles of giving, that they would be planned and proportional and private, right? That, that these plans of what we're going to give, settle that before we even get there. Because there, and I don't think Paul in any way uh, would agree with, with some of the way today churches conduct themselves with giving or receiving, really, or soliciting, I guess might be a better word sometimes. Now, what would happen is he's saying, if we get there and you're not ready, then you're going to have to scramble and then go, oh, uh, well, now that Paul's here, now that these friends are here, and, and we were supposed to be the ones that stirred them up in the first place, all right, you know, all right, I'll give something. All right, I'll give more than I, because I was only going to give like 10 bucks, but now I'll, all right, you know, I'll put the extra. And there's this pressure that can come along when other people are around. And, and, and it's almost like this, look, just put it in an envelope and when I get there, I'll pick it up on the way. And then we don't have to deal with anything. We don't have to deal with getting the church together because Paul's going, you guys said you were going to give. And I'm happy about that. And we want you to give. So when I get there, I don't want to have to stand in front and be the one to talk and then receive the offering. Let's just get that squared away now. That way, you can choose today what you want to give generously. And tomorrow when I come, it won't be grudging. Right? Because haven't you, I think all of us at one point or another have, have been in a place, um, and it can happen in different ways, but where there's like a little sob story attached. Um, and I'm not down on everybody who does this, per se. But I, I find it odd that some people who raise funds in Jesus' name spend the amount of money they do in marketing that's the way the world does things, right? That, you know, it's like you see the opening cut of, you know, two drops of water with the music, you know. And all of a sudden, you're already feeling like, okay, yeah, take my money. Yeah, sure. Now, I'm not saying God can't use this in one way or another. I'm not saying that we shouldn't know clearly what needs are there. You know, just the other day, we had a little meeting, right, that going over just the finances here at the church, and praise the Lord, we're, we're in a good place. If we were in a bad place, I'm sure we would let you know what regular needs were there, right? We would, we, and we would say, hey, here's some of our needs, prayerfully consider them, go ahead. But we wouldn't, there, there's this thing that happens, and it happens within churches because, uh, because people want to give, and so it could be certain ministries, it could be certain churches, and I, and I think it's almost like spiritual malpractice sometimes that some people would get behind a pulpit like this and really solicit giving. Because then there has been some, and, and you know, just like I know, there's times I have given grudgingly. I'm getting no credit for that when I get to heaven. It's not worth anything if we're giving grudgingly, Right? It's not worth anything. And, and so again, there's been times when I've been more excited to give a quarter and, you know, and that did something than to give $1,000 and it really do nothing. 
And again, because it's not about the money. It's about the heart. Where is our heart before God when we give? So he says, I'm sending the letter ahead of time. I'm going to send some guys over there. I want you to be ready because I don't want to get there and you feel like I'm twisting your arm. There was already enough that the Corinthians looked down on Paul for, wasn't there? They always had a complaint about Paul. The last thing they needed was one more complaint go, and then he comes and twists our arm, right? Because that's the way Paul always is. Now, he's going to say something now, though, about the way that we give. And to me, this stuff is so, so important. Verse 6, he says, but I say to you, (laughs) this is the second look in the mirror, right? If we're talking about prepping the kids before you go in. This is like, okay, now let me tell you again. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there's a few verses, if you're a note taker, I'd like you to write down, because we're going to turn to a few of these. In Malachi chapter 3, and you guys probably already know it, but Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10, we're going to talk about those. There's two Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, and also Proverbs 13. So let's first go over to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11. The Proverbs written by Solomon, so much wisdom going on here. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. He says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So this isn't something new that Paul's talking about about sowing sparingly or sowing bountifully. This comes all the way back to something Solomon said early on from what he learned of the Lord, that he says, there's one who scatters, but he increases. Yeah, you, you know how that works, right? We're not all farmers, but we kind of understand the farming thing. That if you just put two seeds in the ground, you can only get what those two seeds produce. You put more seeds in the ground, you can get more, Right? Now, there's some people that go, you probably shouldn't throw all that seed out there. And and you should play it a little safer than that. And there's some wisdom, certain places. But but if there's a guy that's farming, he's just throwing all the stuff out there. And again, we were talking uh, just before service. Someone was reminding me uh, about something they had heard, and I'm probably going to totally butcher this. But they talked about a farmer who was like, well, I don't sow this much for this reason. I don't sow this much for that reason because I'm kind of afraid of this and afraid of that. So I don't sow too much. And... Well, they're not going to reap a whole lot, are they? But, but, but he says they, they scatter, but they increase more. It says there's one that withholds more than is right. And what does it lead to? In the end, it leads to poverty. Because you're not going to have as much to reap when the reaping time comes. And then it says, and then he 
takes that farming illustration and takes it over. And I really think Paul's probably thinking of this when he's writing what we're reading right now. That he says the generous soul will be made rich. And the one who waters will be watered himself. We, we learn that God is really a, a debtor to no man. In Proverbs 13, a couple pages over. Verse 7, it says, There's one who makes himself rich, yet he has nothing. And there's one who makes himself poor, and yet he has great riches. What's that talking about? About somebody who's, again, it's not about the money, it's about the heart. That there are things that God does in our hearts and lives when we give. And, and for some in here, you could, we could probably sit here and tell testimony all day long about things that God has done in our lives that we can almost directly relate to our own generosity. That there are times that I have tried to make myself. I, I remember when I was uh, 19, uh, one of my first real jobs was selling cars. And uh, I was lousy, right? I was lousy because every mo- well, there, there is a way to do the car business, but I was pretty lousy, you know. And I, and I would pray every morning, like, Lord, just send me a customer that I could give a good deal so I could, you know, have some money. Uh, there came a point, though, when I got a little better at it, right? And there were mornings that I'm like, Lord, why don't you stay home today? Because the things I'm going to say over there today, you probably don't want to hear them, <laughs> right? There's going to be some things that come out of my mouth that probably it's not going to... And I was trying to make myself rich. And I'll tell you the emptiness that I felt just chasing money. And I think there's probably enough people in this room to know that to always chase and to achieve and to do stuff, sometimes it leaves a pretty big void there, right, when it's not done for the Lord. But then there's one who just makes himself poor, right, gives more than he should. And I'll tell you, there time and again, that there are times when we have given more than I think anybody would have thought we should give. And the Lord comes through. Not only... And and again, I'm not teaching this as like, this is a great investment for you. You sow a seed of faith and God is going to bless you. Ten, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there are times when I am generous with what God has given me. Not just financially, right? With my energy, with my efforts, right? Uh, I, you know, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When I think of treasure, I think of people's, not just our, our finances, but our time. Right? Where, where do we give of ourselves? And, and, and there's been times that I've made myself poor. But the peace of God, the contentment that I felt. I remember, again, in the car business. I don't think he'll ever listen to this, so it's okay to say it. But I had this friend named John. And I remember he goes, you know, I, he's chased money. And he was at a point that he was making a pretty good amount. And I remember him looking at me. He's like, you make less than a quarter of what I make. How are you content? Because I would trade you for that feeling. Because I can't get that. Isn't this what the Lord does for us? That there's times when we give more than, we, than, than even some people would think we should. Now, again, it's when it's from the heart. Now, we don't, and me and Gary were talking about this right before, We don't give to get. That's not why we give. We give because he's given. 
We give because of the overflow of what God has already done for us. Again, we're going to get to the last verse at some point today. We'll get to the last verse. And he says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Again, I was like freaking out during that last song. That there's salvation in his name. I am forgiven. I'm going to heaven. No matter what in this world. This is the closest to hell I get. And so why wouldn't I want to just give God everything I have? But there's also something else that we find. Turn to Malachi. We said we would look at Malachi chapter 3. Last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. He says, will it, wait, not everyone, is everyone there? Malachi 3, 8 through 10, it says, will a man rob rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In the tithes and the offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. There's a couple places that God talks about testing him. This one God is saying, test me here. Like, I'm, I'm telling you to test me. You don't see that a lot, do you? That there are times it's like, God, are you gonna? Because I was thinking about different places in the Gospels. Do you remember so often religious leaders would come after Jesus and they go, hey, why don't you do this? And do you remember what Jesus said? Why do you test me? Why do you test me in this? And do you know the difference in both of these? That there's one that God says, you're welcome to test me. Jesus says, don't test me like that. When did Jesus say, don't test me like that? It was when the people said, you show us something and then we'll commit to you. You show us something and then we'll do it. Right? Isn't that kind of the way Pharaoh was a little bit, right? That he's like, I'm not doing anything until until I've seen something. That's not the way God asks us to test him. He goes, it's almost like a parent with a child. It doesn't work that way. You don't dictate it. I dictate it, you know? That God says, no, you test me. You show faith. And isn't giving an act of faith, especially for a people like this, that it's like they don't have like year-long salary contracts, you know? They didn't have union representation back in these days where they know like, oh, I, I'm getting my money, <laughs> right? These people, like, they live day to day. Some of the stuff they were bringing, the, some of the offerings they would bring, like the first fruits of their crops, and they give them to the Lord, trusting that, that the Lord would make it right for them. And there is a degree of that with us. Isn't there sometimes when you give to the Lord, it's, there's some faith involved that it's like, Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to make this work. That's how he asks us. And he goes, test me. Test me in this. It's the only way he asks. But, but when we're saying, no, Lord, you give to me first, 
and then I'll start giving to you. You know why that doesn't work? Because most of the time we end up going, well, I mean, you know. And, and Jesus knew that when the people were testing him, he knew they'd do that same thing. But as he's talking about this, and we can go back now to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, so understand this, that if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it's a direct investment with a sure 10% interest. I'm not saying that. That's like, so if you give your tithes and offerings, then you go above and beyond, give an extra $100, you know, then, th- then God will make that into $400 by the end of the I'm not saying that at all. Nothing like that, right? Well, what's it talking about then? Because it's not necessarily not saying that, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I've seen it personally in my own life. I've seen it corporately as a church. That there have been so many times when it's like we give what God has told us to give, you know, and then after that we give a little more. And there have been times, I've, I, and I, I told somebody this, uh, when I, I, usually when we do premarital counseling, one of the things we'll talk about is giving, um, just so the couple's on the same page. And I, I said, I have always, this is something that since Letty and I have been married has just been a constant in our life, that at the very least we give 10%. But we found that every time we've tried to honor the Lord even a little more, we can't outgive him. I remember I, I told someone, I've never had to talk to an employer about compensation, that any time I thought I needed a raise, I would just pray. And, and before you know it, the guys would come in, oh, by the way, we're going to go ahead and uh, change this or do that. Or we're gonna, and I'm Okay, I guess God knew. There have been times that like out of nowhere, the phone rings to like, hey, can you come do this job? And, and I'm like, man, Lord, this is too close together to think that as I gave to you, you weren't going to be a debtor to me. Now, again, in none of those times have I said, well, I'm going to use God as like my piggy bank investment type thing where I'm going to just give a little extra money to him so that he'll give it to me later on down the road. It's not that. But when we sow sparingly, we can only reap sparingly. But when we sow bountifully, God knows how to give back. And it's not just financially. It's not just financially. But again, like we talked about earlier, the different ways that God gives to us. In verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, that God will give us what we need in order to love him, minister on his behalf. He knows how to make all things work. And so he says in verse 7, and this is so key, guys, So let each one give just as he purposes in his heart. I'm not telling anyone in here what you should be giving. I think the Holy Spirit's good at being the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he's already telling you what you should be giving, right? But he says, as you purpose in your own heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity, 
And that's why we don't have a whole lot of kind of designated accounts here. It's mostly just a general fund. That it's like, look, you just give as the Lord's put on your heart. Because if we say, hey, there's this specific thing, then people go, oh, I'll give to that specific thing. I'm not going to give to that, but I'll give to that. Here's what we do, guys. We give to the Lord. And I'll tell you, that's one of the scariest things about like working in a place like this, realizing that we have to give an account for every penny that comes in here to the Lord one day. But it's a freeing thing. Again, I remember going to an old church before and, and I would give and people, well, don't you care what I, I'm giving to the Lord? I give to the Lord and I know that God is who God is. He'll work the rest out if anything else has to be worked out between the leadership and how that's going. So, so we just give for that reason. But he says, give the way you've purposed in your heart. Not what someone else purposes in your heart. Not what someone else uh, grudgingly uh, you know, tries to make you do. Uh, they, here we receive a, the tithes and offerings by just passing bags. You, know? uh, you don't have to feel like you have to do something there. But I've heard of some churches that it's like, no, no, no. All the people stand up. They walk through and they put their, their stuff in the basket and they all walk by each other. And, and be, why? Because there's this like, oh, gosh, man, I just saw that guy. He wrote a check. He didn't even just pull out little cash. He wrote a check. You know, and so then, oh, I'll write a check now, you know, and, 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 and there could be this thing where there's pressure to give and there's different types of things. There's, <laughs> we get a lot of emails, right, at a, as a church, you know, there, there's people that will come and help a church, you know, they'll, this special guy who knows how to really, you know, get people, you know, and, and he'll help you raise a certain amount of money and then you give him a piece of it on the way out. And, and I'm like, you know, I've dealt with some phone calls recently about, about um, ways to increase churches giving by 15%. And I'm like, I'm already accountable for what I'm accountable for. Why do I need more to be accountable for? <laughs> if I'm the reason that I'm trying to get people to give, right? And I talked to this guy on the phone and he goes, we have the best coaches. We'll teach you guys. And I go, I'm going to have to stop you there, buddy. I go, let me tell you how we um, as a church work with the giving. Um, we pray and we ask God to do that stuff in the hearts of the people. And then once a week, we pass the bags just so there's opportunity to give. And I go, well, no, we guarantee it. We guarantee at least 5% or we'll give you your money back. And I'm like... And I told him, I go, you know, man, I, I'm really, I just can't, I, I just, we can't be right there because I'm not going to submit to what your coaches tell me to do because I'd be sinning against my own conscience because the Bible just says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now, you know, again, and I don't want it to be grudging or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. So you give what God's told you to give. It's that easy. It's, it really is that easy because it's not worth it. And again, don't think it's not scary to say that, right? Understanding that there are bills we pay here to go, hey, if you don't want to give, don't give. If you can't give with the right heart, don't give. But I know that that's God honoring, right? Because I know that there's enough verses that we can look at and go, 
for your good, God, it's so, you know, for your good, it's good to give, right? And so I love the way Paul does this and he goes, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send the letter ahead. I'm going to send some people to remind you. And it's almost like just put it in an envelope so I can pick it up on my way. I'm not twisting arms. I'm not asking you to give in a way you shouldn't want to give. You just give what God's told you to give. Understand the principle that God knows how to make it up in one way or another, whether it's sparingly or whether it's bountifully. But God wants you to give cheerfully, right? And he says, and again, in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, verse 9, he's dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he, so God, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He even prays a prayer for them. Now, now may God, the one who gives the seed to the sower, he who gives you the bread for food, uh, would he supply and multiply what you've given? I was so blessed this morning uh, in my own devotions reading Matthew chapter 14. Jesus uh, has just dealt with John, finding out that John the Baptist died, right? His cousin, close ministry partner, really. John the Baptist gets beheaded. And it says that Jesus goes to be alone. If you guys know the story, what happens immediately is a bunch of people follow him right? The multitudes, like they can't even give him breathing room to mourn, right? And you can imagine the disciples are like, look, the dude's hurting right now. Like, can you just, and do you know what Jesus does? It says he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so it says that he healed their sick. And then as it's getting later, the disciples go, oh, hey, it's getting late. Send these guys off. He goes, no, why don't we feed them? And they go, we couldn't save enough money to feed these many people. And they go, well, what do you have? And there's this little boy, right? You guys know the boy. He's go, well, you know, I got five loaves and two fish. But what is that? And even the disciples get that and they take it. They go, we got five loaves and two fish. But what's that among so many? And what does Jesus go? Just sit them down. Our God is a giving God, Right? He's a giving God, and he knows how to take little and make much of it. But I think the thing that blows me away the most here is to see that, again, if I was mourning, I'd close the door, lock it, turn off my phone. I don't want to hear from nobody if I'm mourning. He looks out, and he goes, guys, they're like, a she they're like sheep without a shepherd. Come on, let's give them our time. Let's give to them. And then he includes a little boy who gets to give. Can you imagine how long that little boy told that story? Can you imagine that? How long that guy goes, I got to be a part. Now, he didn't have thousands of loaves, but he got to be a part of that happening. And again, and I think there's times that we can look around and go, well, what, what, what is it that I have among so many? Or what is it that I even can give? It's not about the money, it's about the heart. That we see in Jesus going, I'll, I'll give my time when I don't want to give my time to people. And, even, and teaching the disciples, hey, even when you don't want to, you know, you, 
because of who Jesus is. Let's wrap it up here. We got just a few minutes. These are some, well, just like Paul's writing, some really long sentences that are kind of difficult, but we see four things in these last uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14 verses. It says, while you are, verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also, uh, but is all, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings. Just pause right there. He says two things that are happening as you give this gift. First, he goes, it's supplying a need. It really is. It's doing something. What what you're giving is doing something for these Jerusalem saints who are in a tight spot. But it's also causing a reason for those saints to thank God. You're blessing them and causing them to connect to God in a greater way. Have you ever been in a tight spot and something comes through and all you can do is drop to your knees and thank God? Do you realize that the person who helped give that, gave that gift or whatever it was to help you through that spot, there's fruit that abounds to their account because it caused you to connect with the Lord, if that made sense, the long run on sentence there, but... But do you know what I'm saying? And so he's going, hey, you're supplying the need. These guys are in a tight spot. They've got food now. That's great. But also it's causing them to thank God. Because earlier they were going, where is this going to happen? And you can imagine people get discouraged when things are tight. Maybe you've been in that place at a time. Right? That things get tight and you go, man, I don't know what I should do. So then there's a couple more things. And these ones, these sentences are a little more trickier here. Verse 13. Uh, While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. I don't know if you guys uh, know this. He, he talks about a proof of something happening. The Corinthians weren't known as good people. Corinth was a wild town. Uh, I was, I was uh, reading a commentary and listening to a guy talk about uh, that in plays back in the day, back in these times, in most plays, there would always be one person in the play, the Corinthian. And the Corinthian was like kind of a really wild, uh, not trustworthy type of person. Certainly sexually immoral. They always had one of those. And you, Okay, there's the Corinthian in the play. Some of you guys have heard the phrase, how Corinthian, right? That's an old phrase, but, uh, but it's there. But because they were terrible people, by and large. It was just a, a town, I'm not going to call it any cities right now, but you can think of them in your own mind, that there's certain cities that you think about and you go, yeah, that, that city. There's not much there, you know, that's good. That's Corinth. And so one of the things that's happening is that this is becoming an evidence to the church in Jerusalem that something's happening there in that Achaia region, namely in Corinth. He goes, this is a proof. Well, through the proof of this ministry, they'll glorify God, it says, for the obedience of your confession, right? You can imagine, sometimes you hear of churches in these cities that we're not going to mention. 
You go, wow, something must be happening if people in that city are drawing near to God and actually doing good things. And then last, it's going to prompt the Jerusalem saints to pray for them. That not only are these Jerusalem saints going to thank God, that was one of it, but now they're even going to pray for those people and intercede on their behalf. And so here at the very end, he ties it in with this, verse 15. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Some people go, well, what, what, is, he, is he talking about like the gifts that God gives back to us? Is that the gift he's talking about? Is he talking about salvation? Is he talking about Jesus? And I'd say it could be all of them. Why don't we just celebrate all of them? You know, you think of that Chris Tomlin song, right? Indescribable. It's indescribable when you think of who God is and what he's done. That when you realize who you were, even for a lot of us, who we still are, that God still loves us, is indescribable because there's some people that don't love us anymore, right? There's some people that are like, no more chances. Not again. But God does. That, that there was no possible way for us to bridge ourselves over into heaven, right? Our own righteousness, it's like filthy rags before the Lord. There was no way on my best day that I can get to heaven. But Jesus, he came and he paid what he didn't know, right? To pay what I couldn't pay so that I could be forgiven, so I can go to heaven. And not only that, not only does Jesus just give us eternal life, but he gives us a life here that's more abundant, doesn't he? That peace, that joy, that contentment that he gives. What a privilege to know Jesus. What an indescribable gift. You, you, you can preach for years. You could talk for years and read for years about all that Jesus has done. And, and it's like we haven't even scratched the surface on his goodness and how amazing he is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, thank you for all the grace that you've made to abound towards us. Lord, thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you saved us. Lord, on our worst day, you welcomed us. Lord, we're so grateful that we don't have to go to hell, but you've, you've given a way for heaven. And so, Lord, we ask that we would just worship you with our whole lives. And, Lord, to be like you. You're a giving God. Lord, help us to be givers. Not just financially, Lord. That's, that's just a part of it, Lord. But that we would give our whole lives back to you and then to serve you, Lord, by loving others. So, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, sort out anything that needs to be sorted out in our own hearts and minds this morning. We love you. We bless you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we?